wild geeses that fly by the moon. I mean, that's that's really high altitude for them. Do they really get that far? <laughs> no, it has to be made up. Right. And I'm not a big fan of cats, so I don't much care about their whiskers one way or the other. So, yeah, I think maybe they were confused. So hopefully you said, hey, listen, maybe you should do some more applied machine learning to that. <laughs> I did. I said, go back to your data warehouse, <laughs> close the door, <laughs> right. do some more A-B testing, and see what you come up with. Hey, this is Mo, and I'm a big-ass runner from Garland, Texas. Welcome to the Big Ass Runner Podcast, where we entertain and encourage trail runners from all over the world. Now, here are your hosts, who should come run trails on my side of town, Jeff Harrell and Stephen Pritt. Well, thank you, Mo. Steven, Mo's right. We need to go run on her side of town. Yeah, it's funny. I see her. She runs a lot of different places, but we have not usually ventured across that side of the Metroplex. I actually grew up not far from where Mo is in Garland. I grew up in the Lake Highlands area, which is very close to Garland. That's true. I don't know where either one of those places are, but... Neither does any of our listeners, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Mo, for doing the introduction. Mo is newer to trail running. Just bought a brand new trail hat and just amazing. So thanks so much for doing the introduction and we love all of your posts and definitely just do an amazing job out there on the trails. And Steven, Mo just celebrated a birthday on April 29th. So happy birthday, Mo. And Mo runs a lot with one of our friends, Danny, who also just had a birthday. What's going on with Danny and Mo's birthday? Her birthday was on May 2nd. It's like that scene from Step Brothers. Do we just become best friends? I, th- exactly. I think it's pretty close. So yeah, awesome. Happy birthday to you guys. We're so happy for you and happy birthday. Well, welcome to The Big S Runner. I'm Jeff Harrell. And I'm Stephen Print. Stephen, this is episode, listen to this, an even number 40. Gosh, I feel so old. It's like our midlife crisis. I know this is our midlife crisis. We're going to go buy a motorcycle after this or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Well, we have a great show. We have a fun new segment we're really excited about called Behind the Seams. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means here in a second. And a very popular segment, Stephen, that we haven't done in a while called Ask the Data Scientists. Yeah, they get very giddy and excited when we have this one. So they just like to feel useful beyond doing all the number crunching for the show, running all the SEO and stuff. They really get excited about that. So we've got some good topics lined up for episode number 40 and can't wait to jump into it. But Stephen, before we get to that, you know, we asked for some suggestions from the Big Ass Herd a couple of weeks ago. We want to run our very first 100K And so we asked for suggestions and we got quite a few. Yeah, we got several of them and a lot of good ones. I mean, some of them like Hell's Gate, you know, I think, you know, (laughs) I appreciate that one, but there's nothing about that. Satan's Kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Lucifer's Locker Room. I just feel like all of those probably might want to avoid and uh, that doesn't seem like we're going to come back from that race. So Not in one piece anyway. Right. So we kind of scooted some of those to the side. But yeah, thank you guys so much for all the suggestions. But I think we've kind of narrowed it down to a few. And I think, Jeff, we're going to kind of pick which one that we're going to do, but we still might need a little bit more help. Yeah, I don't think we're going to decide right now, but we are going to narrow the field down to three. So here are the three, Stephen, that we have narrowed it down to. The first is actually a fairly local race. Well, that's what makes it appealing is it's fairly local. We can actually travel there the day of. 
It's called Dino Valley. There's a place called Dinosaur Valley State Park, and it's kind of a really cool place. You actually can walk in the creek and stuff and see literal dinosaur footprints in the rocks and that kind of stuff. But beyond that, it's a really beautiful big park, and they have a lot of trail races out there. So that one's local. It's close, but it's really pretty. And that's one we're definitely considering. It's interesting, Stephen. The next two options are actually both in Arizona. Yeah, I think Arizona has some really cool races. So we're kind of excited about these two. And I think too, because we want to do it either late fall, winter, maybe early in 2022. Yeah. And so I think Arizona is a great place to run because it's pretty mild. And any more time to train. I'm always a fan. That's true. (laughs) So So the second one we've narrowed it down to is actually in February of next year. It is called the Black Canyon 100K. Yeah. Now this one I have heard before, and I think there was at least three or four people that had mentioned this one, that either they had done it or heard about it. And it seems to be pretty popular and seems like a really good race. The third one, Stephen, is called the Mongolian monster. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. is Yeah. The Mongolian monster. That's scary. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that one. Do we need to conquer something or is, no, that's the Mongolian empire. Um, but <laughs> Genghis Khan has the starting line. I don't know. So, or is that the place you go and they make the stuff for you at the meal? What's that, the Mongolian barbecue? The bar- yeah. It's bar- Mongolian barbecue. That's delicious. Actually. Maybe that's the aid station food. Oh my gosh. Just, I'm in on just, that one. Yeah. They just stir fry it up. That just, like. that just decided for me. Okay. Well, there we go. So yeah, that one's a very interesting one too. It's also in Arizona, as you'd mentioned. So I think after looking at all the suggestions, again, thank you so much for sending those in. I think we're going to try to pick between one of those three. So I think what we're going to do, Jeff, is we're going to post that information. Well, Stephen, actually, let me interrupt you because there's actually a fourth option that people had requested. Uh But unfortunately, we had to cross it off the list. It was a 100K in Latvia. That's true. And we got really excited because, as everyone knows, we are huge in Latvia. I mean, they pretty much would have to shut down the country for Big Ass Day, I think. So there were some complications that as well, too. Yeah, unfortunately, they couldn't piece together 100 consecutive K. They could only piece together 90K in Latvia. Right, because when you run across Latvia, it's only 90K. Then right. You have to backtrack a little bit. And we're like, we don't want to do a loop. Right. We want to do maybe a point to point or up and back. I right. I don't know. Yeah. So Latvia had to get crossed off the list, unfortunately, Stephen. Well, maybe next time we'll talk to the Minister of Tourism and also Sports and Entertainment. And it's all the same person. It is. Yes, it's the same office. Um, but maybe we'll try to see if there's something we can arrange. Maybe like a 5K or something like that. Yeah. So we had to cross that off the list. So now it's Dino Valley. Okay. The Black Canyon 100K. Okay. And the Mongolian Monster. Woo. Yeah, I don't know. Those are all really good ones. I think there's probably a pretty good chance we'll probably do one in Arizona because it seems like that's two-thirds of the options. But If you're a betting man, there's yeah, two-thirds of a chance. That's what the data scientists are whispering in my ear right now. So <laughs> They're so excited. I know, exactly. I can't wait till their segment later. Right. Well, listen, thanks again for putting those out there. We will put that on Instagram and maybe you can help us decide which one you think we should run out of those three. And Stephen, with that, let's get going on episode number 40 of The Big Ass Runner. (laughs) 
Well, Stephen, we're very excited about this brand new segment we're calling Behind the Seams. We have a very special guest that's going to be part of this segment. If you remember back in episode number 18, we interviewed Sarah Vandernoot. Sarah's going to be back. So without further ado, joining us now on the Big Ass Hotline is Sarah Vandernoot. Sarah, welcome back to the Big Ass Runner. Thank you. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Jeff. It's good to be back. I know. We were just talking. It, it was episode, what is it, Stephen, number 18 where I know. Sarah was on the show? 18, and now it's 40, and I feel like it's like an eternity ago, and at the same time, I feel like we just yeah. had you on, so we're so happy that you're here, Sarah. Yeah. A lot of miles in the log now between 18 and 40. That is true. Like, more than double. I don't... I'm not good at math. We need to ask the data scientists, but it's more than double, I think. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. We, well, we should have had you on sooner, but welcome back. And again, we're sincerely glad you're here. We got a lot of response for some of you guys that have not remembered that or maybe have listened to the episode. Sarah owns and operates Vander Jacket, one of our favorite pieces of apparel that we own. And we found about her through the Big Ass Running Herd. And if you haven't heard that episode, I really would encourage you to go back. It's a great one. In fact, it was so good, Sarah, that we had this idea. I think Stephen had this idea of doing a segment called Behind the Seams. Pun intended. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I see. See, see what yep. we did there. And I think it's just, it's interesting too. I know you're a small business owner. You're a female small business owner, obviously. And I think it's just good to hear about some of the things that happen behind the scenes, behind you know the, some of the ways that you create, the challenges that maybe you deal with as a small business owner. And just the fact that you're a runner, you have a different perspective on a lot of those things. So we're really excited about this segment and to talk to you more about that. Yeah, yeah, shoot. I am ready to always talk about my business, so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Sarah, let's start with this because I think we're all interested in the creative process. And one thing we love about Vander Jackets, it's their, they are so creative. Everyone's unique and different. I know your micro line is similar, but you're one of a kind. Everything's different. But you've also thought through as a runner where to put pockets and where to put openings for your garment. And if you're left-handed or right-handed, doesn't matter. So I would just, maybe the first question is, what's your creative process like? And as a creator, mm -hmm. what is that? Yeah, we're all experienced clothing wearers, right? So I started there. We know what we like. We know why we grab something. And as a runner, I just always wanted to be able to carry everything that I needed without like a bouncing tool belt. I'd prefer to not carry gloves and a hat, these kind of things. And when I started making running jackets, I just realized I want to roll all that into one. It's kind of a minimalist approach because at the time when I started making running jackets, it was like 12 years ago, and tool belts were still really big. And the thing is, everybody has their method and there's no right method. That's why it's great that there are so many athletic apparel running apparel designers out there because people have different needs and different things will bother different people. But for me, I wanted to be kind of a minimalist with what I carry. And I wanted a really basic pocket without a zipper that I didn't have to fiddle with. I could just scoop my hand in really fast, grab what I needed. When I got hot, I could take my hood off. I could uncuff my cuffs and I wouldn't need a glove anymore once I got warmed up and then I'm running in Colorado so winds come in or something blows in and suddenly I'm cold again and it, the temperature drops so 
everything's right where it should be. I put my hood back on, put my cuffs over my hands. And uh, that's kind of like the way that I started designing, just thinking about what would I want on this run? I, I think in a way, like that's where everybody has to start. They start with themselves. And then as a designer, I grew, I met people and many, many people have different bodies than me. Everybody does. And actually one of the most fun things is to see people try on my jackets. I can learn so much in like two seconds of watching them try it on. And that's really rewarding. And it's really eye opening. It's also the fun part about being so small that I can see people respond to my work immediately, you know, just in the way they put something on and their comments, that kind of thing. And I've learned a lot from that too. Hey Sarah, I have a confession to make too, because I know exactly what you're talking about. Those waist belts that you're talking Utility about. Utility belt or something? Yeah. Like- Oh, like yeah. Tim Toolman uh-huh. Taylor. Yeah, I have like three of them and I don't use any of them because one, I have like a Velcro one and then it kind of chafes and, and and there's probably other reasons why it chafes around my belly, you know, so that's one of them. And then, ah. then there's other ones where you have to order the exact same size and I feel like I'm wearing a running girdle versus, I mean, I don't know what that experience feels yes. like, but that's what it feels like. So it's like, <laughs> how do you carry some of this stuff, but you don't want to wear a full out hydration vest. So I can totally... Yeah respect and appreciate that you thought about those kinds of things when you're designing that. And I think that's one of the things I like a lot about you that you're a designer that happens to be a runner, but you're also a runner who's a designer and you bring both that in there. So when you were talking about that, I'm like, I totally relate to that because I don't use these. I literally just sit in my closet. Like I should sell these because they're horrible. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's a lot of bounce there and everything. Like if you do choose to wear them, You know, Stephen, I totally get what you mean, because in the summer, it does get really hot here in Denver, in Colorado. It can get really hot, and I'm not going to wear my jackets and go run in the heat. And so in the summer, I I will have like a fanny pack, and I don't have a Garmin watch. Like, I just use my phone, and last summer, I tried my husband's bicep cuff thing to put the phone on, you know, to mount the phone on to your bicep. Mm -hmm. And I went on one five-mile run, and I'm telling you, I have a scar that's two inches long still from that. It so bad on me. I had to really cinch it up, and the whole run, every mile or so, I had to crank on the Velcro <laughs> because I have, like, really skinny upper arm, and it wasn't working for me. And then at the same time, it was cutting into my skin. And so, honestly, that led me to make some vests and to make some singlets is a really weird word we can discuss, but uh, a running tank top with a pocket because I needed some place to put my phone. So I think for me, even now, I will go on a run and it can influence my design for a hundred jackets. It's just about responding to those needs, really. No, I totally get it. I found with the bicep cuffs too, that you actually have to have a bicep to actually make that work. <laughs> And I think that most runners probably don't. I don't know. I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I think you actually have to have some muscle there in order for that thing to stay up. So I don't know if that was your case, but my case for sure. I think the fact that when you're talking about that, that you're thinking about those things and seeing it and when you people try it on and even for new inspirations like your singlet which I know from track and cross country being more of like a tank top. Is that kind of Mm -hmm. what that is? Yeah, totally. My dad, he ran for Nike when I was little. And in 
the early 1980s, the first apparel that Nike made, a wife of a running coach for Nike made it. She made it at home and it was really like super silky, mostly not breathable, probably really chafing, but it was like a vintage tank top that fit kind of tight and then usually had a very athletic, sporty, classic sporty style, like a stripe across the chest or like the vintage Nike pinwheel patch or something like right. that. I have about five of them in my closet that my dad ran in and they still smell sweaty. <laughs> and, Gross. Um, I know, I know. But at the same time, it's like in a weird it's way. It's dad. A child right. with their blanket. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Somehow comforting. <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, it's gross to everyone else. But to me, it's like, oh, dad. <laughs> so, I, I wanted something with that style. I really like the old kind of vintage runner style and but at the same time, I needed to put in a pocket for the reason that I said. For the days when you run, and you'd rather not really wear anything, but you need a pocket. So you got to wear something. Plus, it's illegal. So you got to <laughs> wear something. And so, yeah, that's how I came up with the singlet design. But yeah, what a weird word. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're married, you can also wear this as well, too. But um, It's not just for singles? Right. It's not, yeah. Yes. Oh, so true. So this is a new line then, right, Sarah, then that just got released. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And so I have a few independent running stores in Colorado, Utah, Idaho, and Oregon that are carrying it. And that's great. And then I'm just selling it on my website too. Really basic, like unisex sizing. And, you know, they're super lightweight. They're just going to get softer as you wear them. And Hopefully they'll be great for the summer. Yeah. And for some of you guys that don't know, we have a couple of vendor jackets and what we really like is the pockets. And I think, I don't know if it's like one of your signature things, Sarah, that's kind of what I call it. But the pocket that comes in the back is really cool because it's perfectly made at the right angle. Like you just put your hand, like you're sliding it across like where your kidneys are mm -hmm. and you can just reach in there and grab a whole bunch of stuff. I use mine when I go work out and run and I keep my keys in there and a phone or if I'm out wearing out in the town and mm -hmm. you can literally just follow your back on and, and along there and just kind of grab whatever you want. And like the angle and the, the depth of the pocket and stuff is mm -hmm. just perfect. So I can imagine the singlet having that. It looks really, really cool. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. But whether it be singlets or your new vests that are coming out, you know, what what do you think about? Are you trying to create something that becomes someone's favorite jacket, vest, singlet? Okay, you know what my goal is every time? Every jacket I make, everything I make, my goal is to make it so cool I have a hard time selling it. <laughs> That's the awesome. goal. Like you want to keep it. Yeah, yeah. I don't keep everything well, obviously, I don't keep everything. I have like maybe five Vander jackets that I wear. But the goal is to make it really hard for me to see it go. And when it's like that, I know like I nailed it. And if it's fine to sell it, that's okay. But it's a really good goal to have it like that, I think. Because then I know I've made something really special. The other thing I've learned is sometimes I'll make something and it's like everything came together. The design comes together beautifully. It's like a wow piece, the jacket or the vest or something. And maybe people really respond to it on social media. I sell it immediately. And then I get, you know, 10 other people asking about it right away. I found that to try to replicate it is a big no-no. <laughs> you don't try to replicate it because then 
something is lost. Like it becomes like a formula in a way when you try to replicate that feeling or that emotion. It's better to go with what is moving you next rather than to get hung up on the one that was so popular and try to like remake that again and again. No, that makes sense. You know, when you were saying that, I'm not trying to make a tie into troning, but I think about there's races that we run that we we run the same race. Like there's one I'm running this weekend and it's the same race we've run probably (laughs) six times. But Mm -hmm. I I always think, well, it's going to be this kind of experience. And what's funny is on the seventh time, it's a different experience, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's the same race. It's the same track course and that kind of stuff. And I think you're right whether it's inspiration or running or whatever, the uniqueness about that time or that piece of equipment or that clothing or that design needs to have Mm -hmm. its own space to live and breathe and to have it that way versus trying to extrapolate the same experience, the same exact design or the what you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. on every single piece. I just don't think that that's really possible. So we don't approach races that way. And I I think it's really cool to hear you say that you don't approach, you know, design or creating Mm -hmm. new pieces in your portfolio that same way as well, too. Yeah, and I just think of you both. You're creating these podcasts, and I'm sure it would be a mistake to try to replicate the magic of a certain podcast, right? It's better to respond in the moment to whatever's going on, right? So I think it's the same way, you know, maybe across the board with art. I don't know. (laughs) It's funny you say that, Sarah, because as I think about Vander jackets and, you know, what I personally love about them is it is like, each of them is a piece of art where the uniqueness, if you go to your website and I just like to go to your website and look through all the different jackets and combinations of colors and each one of them is unique and different. I think that's reflected in the fact of what you just said. You approach every piece with this freshness, this newness, and this idea of, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to create something new this time. Yeah. You know what makes me excited too? If when I'm making an original or a custom for somebody or just the plans for the next Denver line of jackets, it's exciting and great, but I'm just the beginning because I think what makes something really special to a person is not opening an Amazon package or a Vander jacket package and it's the new jacket or it's the new vest that they ordered. What makes it really amazing is when the clothing has some story attached to it so hopefully runners are taking the jackets and the vests and the singlets and it starts with me but then they're going to go out and run hopefully for years they're going to rack up some trail memories in that vest and in the jacket and you know they're going to have some crazy story about the time they stashed it in this one bush over here and they came up the trail and it was across the trail in the other bush and wow how freaky or I don't know, like maybe there will be some running story attached to the vest or the jacket that I make. And so that's what makes it really special in the long run for a person. It's funny you say that because I I just today, our friend Danny, she's one of our listeners. Uh I think you did a custom jacket for her and she posted on her Instagram her opening. It was like Christmas in, what are we, in April? She was so excited about that. I think that's to you. It's got to be that seeing that and that emotion, that feeling that you're trying to create. And when you see that, that's just got to really be super cool for you. Oh, yeah, it was. It was actually kind of nerve wracking because it was like he went live with opening <laughs> the vest. And I and it's like, well, I, you know, for me, if I open a present that isn't good for me, like I had such an experience 
expressive face. Like everyone's going to know. And I was just so nervous when she was opening it. Like, what if it's not right? But it, it, she was super kind and super excited about it. And so that was like, whew, everything's okay. <laughs> well, it sounds like we need to play either Old Maid or Poker with you. Because I think that'd be a great. That's true. We could win some money. <laughs> we could... Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. It's hard to hide some of those things. So. Well, Sarah, we've been talking about um, different things and talking about, you know, favorite things that we have. And I was just curious, do you have like a, a favorite piece of like running equipment that you have? Or is there like a old pair of shoes that like your luckiest shoes that you have? Or what's what's one of your favorite running I- items you have? You know what? I did have one in high school and then in college. I had a t-shirt. And the thing is, this t-shirt, it was from my granddad's closet and he had this one closet his closet was filled with really old school stuff and there's a a t-shirt in there that said running magazine in cursive and it was like a rainbow spectrum across the chest and it said running magazine and it was black and I asked him if I could have it and he gave it to me and I ran in that t-shirt like all during cross country in high school And I guess I just loved it because of the sentimentality of it. But the more I wore it, the more I loved it. And my best friend, when we'd meet up to go run, she just flat out tell me, like, that's gross. Why why are you wearing that? (laughs) That is gross. And one day when I was running in Central Oregon, where I grew up, the wind just blew away the last thread into the ether. And the t-shirt was no more. That's the legend I'm telling these days about about the t-shirt because it really was like, I wore that t-shirt until it was like not a t-shirt anymore. And there was like a pride in that, like that I wore something to its completion. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of common actually to like kind of have a relationship with one of your running garments. But that was mine. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so true. I think that's why we hold on to them when they're falling apart or missing a sleeve or, you know, have a gigantic hole in the wrong spot or something like that. We just don't want to let it go because it's a part of that memory. So, totally. no, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That is that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question, Sarah. You're very artistic. I mean, you draw, you paint. I've seen some of your sketches. You have your cool T-shirt that you hand drew, the Run School T-shirt, I thought was just kind yeah. of really cool. I'm just curious, as a runner and as a mom and you're designing and all the busyness, where do you find time to get inspiration? Like what when you think about colors or patterns, do you think of them on your runs or do you see a color or is there a a show? Like where do you kind of find your inspiration from? And then really, how do you find time to be inspired, I guess? Yeah, you know, fortunately for me, running is where I get my best ideas. So that like that's a natural fit for me because I, for some reason, I think it's the circulation from the legs to the brain and back again. For me, that's thinking time to be out on a run. When I'm running, you know, on a trail, especially, there are, are color schemes that are just in nature. If you're paying attention to the rocks and the sky and the changes between the seasons. And I take a lot of cues from just the scenery, the color and the palette. 
And then obliquely, I would say I'm like a really big Wes Anderson fan, and I get a lot of inspiration from his movies. So I don't know. I, I guess those are my answers. Kind of weird, but there you no, go. No, <laughs> that's awesome. That makes sense. My cross country coach was also my biology coach in high school. And so he would ride along on his bike and then point out different flowers or things and make us tell him like the genus and species and other mm-hmm. colors that they came in. So mm-hmm. even to this day, when I run, I'm like, oh, that's flocks of ericata. It comes in blue and it comes in purple, oh, you know, kind of thing. So I was, cool. when you were saying that, I was picturing you like stopping and picking up a flower and putting it in your in your Vander pocket, you know, and then like, hey, let's let's make a swatch or let's go find this. So yes. I'm sure that's not exactly how it happens, but I can relate a little bit to that, you know. Oh, totally. It was annoying at the time, but I can yeah. appreciate it now that I'm a little bit older, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know what? There's like some there's some rocks out there on the trail um, in Colorado where like you could pick up a pebble, and if you look really closely. There's kind of a red-brown and then a hot, and I mean like hot neon green, and then a muted yellow and then like a forest green. I I think that's kind of the beauty of uh, human nature. We are, I think, subliminally conditioned to certain palettes because they're in nature. And really, if I just copied those palettes straight up, people would love it and be like, oh, you're a genius. But really, I just go for a run. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer for a lot of things. Just go for a run. Just go for a run. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, we're we're big fans of you. We're obviously big fans of of your your company and Vander Jackets as well. And we have a couple of a really exciting announcements. One is, and you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, you've got vests coming out. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm so excited. They're coming out on May third. We have a good group of vests that are for men and women and. It's going to be four sizes for each. It's a small collection. We'll probably have around 30 pieces coming out May 3rd. And these are all one of a kind. So each one's an original design. We don't have two. Really special. And all the fabric's been sourced in Denver. I worked on vests all day today. And for the vests I made today, they are made out of a retired parachute that I found locally. It's super lightweight rip stop and it's going to perform really well this summer it's been fun to make these and the whole collection so i'm really excited about it and what's really cool we're talking in late april but this episode drops on may 3rd which is the day that the vest will be ready so you better go to vanderjacket.com and check them out well we're really excited for you sarah that's amazing and you know i think the vests are a perfect time especially for spring you know like you said they're super functional and even us people here in texas you know could could use those uh those vests and stuff i have a friend uh who wears a ton of vests and he always says the best life is the best life you know so I love um, that. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, maybe we'll maybe we'll get him one so that way he can have oh, it. So, but perfect. congratulations! Yeah, that sounds like quite quite amazing. Thank yeah. you. We're very excited about this launch, and we're also very excited because the second big announcement that we have, and we we talked about a few weeks ago, we announced a partnership with Path Projects, and when we talked about that, we said you know there's certain companies and people that we feel just has a a good fit for us. You know, people that are in the running community, small businesses making great products that we personally use. And I think that more than anything, we've got to use them and like them as well. But we're really excited to announce a partnership with Sarah and with Vander Jacket. And she's supporting the show. Mm -hmm. So 
We are very excited about that, Sarah. We're going to have you on from time to time. We love your products. We can't stop talking about them anyway, but now we have an actual formal partnership with you, and we're very excited. I'm so excited about that and and really just like humbled um, to be partners with you. I just see your podcast as just being like pure encouragement and pure excitement for trail running, which is a very positive thing. I mean, when I hear your mission statement about community and bringing runners together, just like the every, every man runner, like the every woman runner. Who wouldn't want to get on board with that? I'm so excited to partner with you. So thank you. Ho, 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 it's magic. You know, never believe it's not so. Well, Stephen, one of the things we love to do is to give shout outs and kudos to the big ass runners out there just getting it done. Who do we have this week? Jeff, this week we have Taylor, and he's on Instagram on Walk the Links and Run the Trails. And believe it or not, he loves trail running and golf. Oh, I thought it was Eat the Links. Right. That was what I would do. If it's if it like involves sausages. sausage, yeah, I'm ready to go. But no, Taylor has a passion for both golf and trail running, which is similar because sometimes I walk the golf course and it feels like I'm running the trails. That's true. It's the same so speed. True. Right. So no, he's from Colorado, just does a great job. Just finished one of his longest runs of the year did an 18 miler i think he's still chasing that hole in one but just a great guy and really congratulations for out there getting it done each day and going after two things that you love both golf and trail running way to go taylor Well, Stephen, the data scientists are all giddy because we are doing a segment we've done before. It's called Ask the Data Scientist. Jeff, this is where different people who send on Instagram or email questions that they would like our esteemed data scientist staff to research, find some information out, and get back with the big-ass runner hurt. So we give them those emails. They go back and they close the door. They get on their TI, Texas Instrument Calculators, and get the machine learning going. They supposedly had artificial intelligence going. And yeah, they just come back with some amazing answers for us. And so we wanted to, once again, employ the data scientists to look at some of those things and to help us to get some deep understanding of what these questions are and how we can just really be a service to all the listeners out there. A big time service, Stephen. And last time Timmy Time was on, I made the statement. I said, hey, this song called Amanda is my favorite song. Uh And someone sent us a note and said, Hey, Jeff and Steven, which is our names, which is really cool. Right. Would you ask the data scientist, what makes something your favorite? And which we thought, you know what? That's a really good question. That's interesting. Yeah. It seems like where you'd need something for a linear regression or some kind of A-B testing or some kind of artificial intelligence that would really need to help answer that question. Well, fortunately, we have a whole team of data scientists. And Stephen, when I gave them this question, I said, hey, data scientists, what makes up your favorite? And they said, well, first of all, we're going to start off with some A-B testing. They came running back within maybe like 10 minutes and said, El Jefe, we have the answer. (laughs) There is a definitive list of favorites on the internet. We have found it. They handed me a, it was looked like a white paper, but I think it was more like just a piece of paper. Right. 
And they said, here is the definitive list of favorites. Yeah. And they came back so quickly. I was like, man, I didn't know we had that much machine learning on staff here. So I was like really impressed. So what were some of the things that, that kind of came out of that computer? Uh, number one, it says raindrops on roses. Really? Yep. Number two, whiskers on kittens. Okay. Number three, bright copper kettles. And number four, warm woolen mittens. All right. And those were list of all the definitive favorite things? That's what they said. And then I realized, wait a minute, Stephen. Yes. This feels a lot like something I've heard before. Where have I heard that before? Cream colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzels and noodles. This is the lyrics from a few of my favorite things from The Sound of Music. That's right. Yeah, because really wild geeses that fly by the moon. I mean, that's that's really high altitude for them. Do they really get that far? <laughs> no, it has to be made up. Right. And I'm not a big fan of cats, so I don't much care about their whiskers one way or the other. So, yeah, I think maybe they were confused. So hopefully you said, hey, listen, maybe you should do some more applied machine learning to that. <laughs> I did. I said, go back to your data warehouse, <laughs> close the door, <laughs> right. do some more A-B testing, and see what you come up with. So about, yeah, I would say this is probably another eight hours later they came back, Stephen, and they said, we've got it, Jeff. What makes something your favorite is it is the best. Really? If something is the best, it will become your favorite. And I said, well, hang on a second, because my favorite movie is a movie called Fletch. Oh, yeah. And when I look up on Wikipedia, I looked at the number of awards because obviously if it was the best, it would have won a lot of Academy Awards. Right. You know how many it won, Stephen? Um, let me guess. 62. <laughs> no, you're off by 62. It won zero. What? So it's clearly not the best. So I explained this to the data scientist. And I said, no, I think you need to go back to the data warehouse and do some more, I don't know, cross-validation because I don't think that's the right answer. So they went back and this time they spent a good 10 hours, I'd say, in the data warehouse. And they came back and they said, hey, Jeff, it's all ball bearings these days. And I was like, wait a minute. You just pulled a line from Fletch. I'm not buying it. Right. Yeah. I think they must have something loose this time around. <laughs> some ball bearings are loose. They, they have some ball bearings that are definitely loose. So, Well, so they came back and said, hey, Jeff, we think it's the newest thing makes it your favorite like you get a new version of your trail shoe right that's going to become your favorite yeah but you know what that can't be the case because we all get new pairs of trail shoes sometimes and go yeah i really actually like the old version the old version better why did they tweak that or why is there more cushioning i don't like where the seam is so it can't possibly be that and we just heard the story from sarah about that old t-shirt that her grandfather gave her that was her favorite t-shirt so that can't be the right answer certainly not the newest (laughs) certainly certainly was not the newest So they went back a third time, Stephen, and they came back and they were very excited. There were Funyuns flying around. (laughs) Spicy Cheetos were being had. Mountain Dew on the floor. Right. (laughs) They were so excited because they said, hey, Jeff, what makes something your favorite, data can't actually answer. It's actually much deeper than that, Jeff. They said it's something that evokes an emotion, a memory, a feeling has an attachment that goes beyond just numbers. It's actually something that is meaningful to you becomes your favorite. I went, 
Oh, I think that actually makes sense. It does. Yeah, now that you say that, I agree. You know, it's something that where you have a memory attached to it that has more significance than the value of what it is. So, Stephen, I thought based on that definition, we could talk about a few of the things that are our favorites. Sarah shared her favorite piece of running gear. It was that old T-shirt from her grandfather. Uh What are some of your favorite things, running or not running? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I have a couple of things that come to my mind. I have them in a place in my closet. One is a very tiny rubber duck. A rubber duck? Yeah, like the kind you have like a little bathroom toy and that kind of stuff. And when my kids were younger, bath time was something I would do because my wife would get a break from the kids because she was staying home with them. And it was really a special time for me because I just got one-on-one time with them. And so we would always make games and play things. And so obviously now that they're older, they don't play with bath toys anymore. But I kept one of those rubber ducks in my closet just to kind of remind me of one-on-one time with my kids and how important that was. And even though it's not during bath time now to still do that, but I still kept one of those original little ducks. That's awesome. I love that, Stephen. What about you, Jeff? I do have one. I'm holding in my hand a tennis ball and... This is my favorite ball because I think I've shared on this podcast before. I used to go down to, I haven't since COVID, unfortunately, but I got the opportunity to go visit an orphanage down in Mexico, just across the border from Texas into Nuevo Laredo. And I went for the first time, I think back in 2007 or eight. And I don't speak Spanish, Stephen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but I love kids. Right. And so I went to this orphanage for the first time and I'm going in, I'm trying to introduce myself to the kids, but I don't speak a lot of Spanish. And so I was having a little bit of a difficult time connecting, as you might imagine. Sure. Here's this Clydesdale that's coming in, <laughs> right? Clomping around. Who's a, this guy? A burro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. El Gordo. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and there was this little girl, she's probably eight or nine at the time, and she had this tennis ball. Uh-huh. And she came up to me, and I could tell she wanted me to throw this tennis ball with her. Mm-hmm. And so I did. It was amazing. We, we threw the tennis ball, and we were there probably three or four days, and we probably spent hours just throwing this tennis ball and laughing mm-hmm. and getting to know each other, even though we didn't speak each other's language throwing this tennis ball and turns out that little girl's name was Leslie and Leslie over the years. And I, I got to spend about 10, about 10 years at the orphanage going about once a month. Wow. And we really developed a relationship almost like father daughter and it was so meaningful. So for me, this tennis ball is one of my favorite things. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think you're right, Jeff. It's not about the value of it or even if it's new or old or, If it's the latest and greatest, it's more about what makes something your favorite is the significance and the memory behind it. I think that's really important to remember that, you know, as we're coming out of COVID and all these other kind of things, taking that opportunity and to really think about those memories and cherish them because we don't take it for granted, obviously. Yeah. Last episode, we heard from Denver about how part of why he runs is that running has helped him appreciate things. Mm -hmm. And I think as we think about our favorite things. And it's easy, and especially in, in America, we've got listeners all over the world, but man, materialism and stuff can just get in the way. But when you kind of boil it down to what are those things in my life that are my favorite that have that significance, that have that meaning and start to really cherish those things, I think that really makes life more powerful. Yeah. 
And I'm just glad they're not blue satin sashes. Because I have no idea what I would do with that. What about silver white whiskers that melt in the springs? Yeah, and my eyelashes, I don't want them carrying stuff. I don't think that's just, you know, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Well, Stephen, the data scientists have come through once again. It took them a few tries. It took them a few bags of Funyuns, but they made it happen. We're very excited. That is Ask the Data Scientist. Well, Stephen, believe it or not, that is the end of episode number 40. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks again. A special thanks to Runstoppable Mo. We'll have to get over to your neck of the woods, pun intended, to do some trail running over there. And also want to say a special thanks to Sarah for having her on the show. We just really enjoyed talking with her and exciting to see all the things that she's doing as a runner, but also as an entrepreneur. And thanks a lot, Sarah, for being on the show. Yes. And thanks, Taylor, as well, for getting out in Colorado and getting those long runs in. And also notice that he just he interacts with us a lot on social media, and we appreciate that as well. And Jeff, that's great, because that's one of the things we wanted to kind of create part of the podcast, more than just having a show that's out there every Monday, that having a community on Strava or Instagram where people can interact with other like-minded people and have a community, even if we don't all live in the same area. So when Taylor, you're out there posting or Mo and Danny are, we could list any number of people. It's just really, really cool to see. So, well, Jeff, you know, what's one thing our listeners can do this week? Well, Stephen, today was an exciting day because Vanderjacket launched their vests. So go to Vanderjacket.com and check those out. They're going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again, guys. Hopefully you've had a good run or car ride wherever you're going. We really appreciate you guys listening. Until then, get out there, enjoy the trails. And keep running your asses off. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my end? Hi. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, hi. The word hi has lost all meaning. Hi, this is Mo, and I'm a mess, and my dog is barking in the background. Uh, just doing an amazing job out there on the trails and on, on the... On the trails. On the trails, yeah. Yeah, so I think this is the one where they release the Velociraptors, and then oh, you no. have to run, and they don't catch you, and then... No, I, just awesome um, job. It was really fun to... Uh, gosh, awesome. What am I saying? You're awesome. You're saying awesome, awesome. things. I know. It's all ball bearings these days, Stephen, you little vixen. Cut it, ball bearings. Oh, come on, guys. It's so simple. Maybe you need a refresher course. Hey, it's all ball bearings nowadays. Moon River. Thank you, Doc. You ever serve time? Uh, You using the whole fist, Doc? I'll bet you have, you little vixen. So just go out there and check it out. Just go there and... uh, As a creator and as a designer... Is your goal mm-hmm. to create something that becomes, whether it be a onesie or, sorry, I said onesie. <laughs> We've been joking about that all night. I knew I was going to do that. Keeps on calling them onesies. I'm like, no, that's what you have for your babies. But, Sing, but singlet. she might come out with the Vander baby line. You know, let's let's you know start them out young. Yeah, train that, them. that's gonna that's gonna appear yeah. on the blooper reel later. <laughs>
you know, I'm just wondering if if there would be a market for runners to do the snaps under the cross. I just don't think they'll be into yeah, it. Yeah, they might be chafing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that was. <laughs> so, Sarah, we couldn't let you go unless we ask you one really quick, important question. And really, um, what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Oh, it's absolutely the Royal Tannenbaum. Go, Sarah!